Hi, welcome. You're listening to Claiming Space. I'm your host, Vikram. Today we're going to be talking to Michelle Hanlon from Foro Moonkind. Michelle is co-director of the Air and Space Law Program at the University of Mississippi School of Law and its Center for Air and Space Law. She is also a co-founder and president of Foro Moonkind, a non-profit corporation that is the only organization in the world focused on protecting human cultural heritage in outer space. For All Moonkind has been recognized by the United Nations as a permanent observer to the UN Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. Michelle chairs the International Committee of the National Space Society and is the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Space Law, the world's oldest law journal dedicated to legal problems arising out of human activities in outer space. She received her BA in political sciences from Yale College and her JD, magna cum laude, from the Georgetown University Law Center. Michelle earned her LLM in air and space law from McGill University where the focus of her research was commercial space and the intersection of commerce and public law. Prior to focusing on space law, Michelle was engaged in private business law practice. Her legal career commenced with the restructuring of sovereign debt for a number of South and Latin American countries and evolved into the negotiation and implementation of cross-border technology mergers and acquisitions. Her subsequent solo practice advised entrepreneurs from four continents on all aspects of bringing their innovative ideas to market, from basic corporate formation to financings and buyouts. Let's get started. Hey, Michelle. Welcome to Claiming Space. It's really exciting to have you on here today. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It's such an uh, honor. Thank you. So let's start with asking you a question. What was your journey that drove you towards the legal domain in space? Was there a significant event in your childhood that propelled it? I feel, Vikram, that that's such a loaded question. And I can <laughs> I can go all the way back in my childhood and tell you about watching Star Trek. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I have always loved space. I have always, you know, uh, considered myself a real Trekkie nerd. But I, I didn't, you know, classic story, right? I didn't do that well at math and thought that science was beyond me. So... I went the political science path and became a lawyer. I worked 25 years as an M&A attorney yeah. um, in, the, in the United States, and my sons grew up, and my oldest son was really interested in space. He wants to mine asteroids. He, yeah. he built satellites in college, and I started proofing his research for him, and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. He was doing a lot of stuff with orbital debris yeah. mitigation and remediation, and that's, I, I just sort of had this light bulb moment where I thought, okay, I, I think I've done enough of, you know, putting companies together yeah. and breaking them apart as the case may be. Now I can really refocus on my passion from my childhood and actually, you know, do some good in the world and, and make a mark in, in what we call, you know, this, this blob of laws we call space law because it's just evolving so fast right now and, right. and so much needs to be done. I will say, mm. We need space lawyers. There's just so much going on. And, you know, I, I've had so much fun teaching mm-hmm. at Mississippi because, you know, there's so many 
bright minds with so many innovative ideas. We just need to start getting all these voices heard in space law so that, that we can really evolve it in, in, a, in a sustainable yeah. way that will create successful communities yeah. in space. So, so you're saying how, how it's moving really fast. What aspects or what domains within the law is, are moving faster, would you say? So it, it's, it's really this concept of property, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, when I say it's moving fast, I, well, actually, I, I do, so it's this concept of property is sort of the, the elephant in the room. Nobody, we're not on the same page yet as an international community about how we're going to deal with that. And so it's moving swiftly because we have to deal with it, right? Because we're going to have yeah. private companies mining the moon or mining an asteroid, yeah. you know, pretty soon, not, not, not five years, 10 years, but, you know, we really need to think about how we want to develop the law because the law, the law moves slowly. You know, it's going to take a long time to, to get a, another treaty or something. And so yeah. I, I really liked the U S statement that came out um, this week that, you know, the United States believes that private individuals, private companies ought to be able to use, re- use resources and it would like to work with the international community to figure out, you know, how to promote that. Yeah. But it's also moving swiftly, you know, at national levels. For example, Australia has, has, have they developed or they're developing their own space law? There's a lot of countries that have never before um, even thought that they could be spacefaring yeah. that are now spacefaring or want to be spacefaring. And so we have a lot of countries that we need to harmonize national laws so we don't have a race to the bottom, right, mm-hmm. for launching yeah. services or something. Yeah. Um, and and then as technology, you know, we, we're looking at remote sensing technology. As it, it gets better and better, you know, I'm not sure that the laws we have are good enough. Mm-hmm. And so we've, we need to, one of the things, again, that we work hard, very hard at, at Mississippi is to make sure our attorneys understand the technology. And that's, that's been, you know, I think it's, it's true of, of a lot of, of what lawyers do. Yeah. And I know your, your background is more technical, but yeah. before, before a lawyer or a regulator or a congressperson can think about how to regulate something as amazing as earth observation, you know, data distribution. Yeah. You have to understand, you have to understand how it works and more importantly, understand the possibilities that it offers and make sure that you're not creating roadblocks to be able to meet those, uh, meet all those possibilities. Okay. I see. So you're the founder of For All Mankind. Could you tell us a bit about the vision for it? Absolutely. For All Mankind um, is the only organization in the world. It's a nonprofit organization that is focused on preserving human heritage in outer space. And so you think about uh, human heritage on Earth. We have the World Heritage Convention, 193 nations. Every nation on Earth has signed that convention. We don't do as, you know, as as good a job as, as one would hope. There's still a lot of heritage that's in, that's destroyed during wars and so forth. But there is an understanding. Every nation understands how important that heritage is, and not just to a single country. You know, the pyramids of Egypt, sure, they're Egyptian, yeah. but, you know, that's a human, that's an amazing human achievement. And that yeah. is exactly what the bootprints, those fir- first bootprints set on the moon by Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, those are the memento. They, they are a, sort of frozen in time as a beautiful memorial of the most amazing technological achievement human beings have accomplished yeah. so far. 
And so, we would really like to see them recognized yeah. as, as a human treasure, not just yeah. an American treasure. And we'd like to have them, we'd like to see them protected. We'd like to see them, you know, preserved so that they can inspire generations and generations to come. You know, we, we look at footprints in Tanzania and we, we can look at them as a human species and say, hey, that's the first time one of us stood on two feet. Wow, isn't that cool? And it, it unites us, it brings us together. And that, that's the mm-hmm. other sort of piece of For All Mankind is it's intended to work to unite us, to remind mm-hmm. us all that we're in this together. We hear about the overview effect all the time, right? The yes. astronauts go up and they say, you, there's no borders when you look back at the earth. Yeah. Um, at For All Mankind, we want, we're saying the same thing. Um, and Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and, and all the other moonwalkers will say they went in the name and representing all of humankind. Yeah. Yes, they're Americans, but they are humans above and beyond all else. Yeah. Well, you, know, you went right into my next question, why, why it is important to protect the lunar landing site. So you answer that. So what are like the, I guess, uh, what are the implementation strategies to protecting uh, the lunar landing sites? Like, what are you, what are you trying to do? So uh, this is, you know, our, our, our goal is to have a treaty, yeah. just like the World Heritage Convention. We would like to have a universal heritage convention, something that um, manages the protection of, of human heritage in space. And it's really important to, to note that we are not suggesting that every single landing site on the moon needs to be protected and preserved and can't be moved. Absolutely not. Yeah. What we're saying is it's time to think about managing how we explore the moon. What do we want to take care of? The plume effect on the moon can be devastating to operational equipment and to heritage. You know, that, yeah. that lunar dust is, is really abrasive. And so what we would like to do is have the international community come together and sit down and talk about what kinds of things we want to actually protect. I mean, what ideally, I mean, we, we I would say everyone, and we have about 100 uh, volunteer, we're all volunteer, nobody gets paid anything. Yeah. 100 volunteer attorneys from all over the world, including John Lim. And we want to, we would like to see the boot prints, uh, the Tranquility Base actually physically protected. But, you know, baby steps, right? So we believe that as we're struggling with this concept of how do we think about property and how do we do zones and, you know, we haven't had an agreement, an international enforceable international agreement on space since the 70s. And so this is the opportunity. We all agree about heritage. Let's take that agreement and use it as a basis for sustainable and and collaborative exploration um, of space and the moon. And so we're not just talking about the Apollo lunar landing sites. We're talking about all of human heritage in space. And so that includes Luna 2, you know, the first human object to impact another celestial body. Yeah. Luna 9, the first soft landing on the moon, rovers on Mars, you know, the, and, and, and even think, you know, ISS. And, and again, we're not saying everything needs to be put in a museum or kept sacrosanct. We're saying these, this is heritage and we either need to memorialize it, yeah. preserve it or protect it, depending on what archaeologists and anthropologists think. Yeah. Um, so talking about the moon, uh, um, it, isn't there a moon treaty? And I think the U.S. is not signed that. Is, am I? That's correct. So this is... Something like that to a 
you know, to account for this because essentially it's kind of already ha you have something similar. Wouldn't it be like easy to just amend that and include things like this. I mean, obviously it will just be for the moon. It wouldn't be for other things outside the moon, like you you, you just mentioned. But yeah, I'm just curious. Absolutely, and and you're absolutely right. The moon agreement has a provision which talks about um, thinking when you think about exploring and harnessing the resources of the moon, we need to think about protecting and we need to think about the environment. They don't necessarily say heritage sites or, or yeah. sites that are historically significant, yeah. but they, it, the agreement does say, does recognize that there are places on the moon that we, we won't want uh, humans to destroy. So the moon agreement is, you know, it gets a terrible rap. I've, I've talked a lot about it. The, the problem is, is nomenclature. There's a, a, a phrase in there that says the moon is the common heritage of humankind uh, versus the Outer Space Treaty, which says uh, the exploration and use of space are the province of all humankind. And so it's, you know, I think, I think people who aren't lawyers are probably rolling their eyes right now. Yeah. You know, don't they mean the same thing? Yeah, you know, they That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> And the problem is neither of them has a definition. And, and if they, if they, if you think about the people who drafted it, right? Yeah. If they wanted them to mean the same thing, then they would have used the same language. Yeah. So it definitely means something different than province of all humankind. And there is a large cohort of, of, of people who believe that that's something different means something broader and more expansive and something like a, a, you know, a common good or something. And there's people who say, no, that's not what it means. There is no legal definition of, of the term. Right. But the, and that and that's kind of scary, right? And so to talk about just using the moon agreement or amending the moon agreement, it, it's to me, it's it's a non-starter because there are just too many people who are suspicious of it. Right. And I think it's a much better plan just to start over, get all the suspicions out. You know, let's not even, you know, let's not. There's that that agreement has a history, and and we just need to move beyond it. And and with the with the executive order that was signed this week by the president of the United mm -hmm. States, which basically says the United States is not going to consider, even consider the agreement, and it's, it's certainly not going to consider it customary international law. It's not going to consider any of its provisions as binding whatsoever. That's a, that's a big signal from the United States that it is not going to go down the path of the Moon Agreement. Whether you agree with that decision or not, it's a, yeah. it's a decision. And so I think that's a, a very positive step forward. Um, because now we can now we can put that behind us and move on. Yeah, because I I think I remember reading with the Russian foreign minister saying something. He didn't really like it. He, he used a word. He used a phrase. I can't remember now. Yeah. So and, yeah, what, no, I think the was, and and yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. How how so how so if I mean even though the U.S. I mean even the president has signed executive order, how how would that relate to other countries, right? who probably wouldn't like like say for example russia who wouldn't agree with the president's decision so how would that be handled so what's interesting is is russia made a a very i don't i don't i don't know what the adjective would be but russia did make a statement saying it views this basically as a planet grab right the, the united yeah. states is claiming property in space yeah um it's not. And it's also important to note that Russia has not signed the moon agreement either. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's the, if you look at it, this is, this is a progression of U S policy 
In yeah. 2015, President Obama signed the commercial space launch. Well, the, the relevant provision was called the Asteroid Act. Yeah. And that said, you know, if, it, if you mine something, then you can keep the resources that you mine. And so this is just the progression that, that caused a huge stir. What did it mean? Was it violating the Outer Space Treaty? And then Luxembourg followed the United States with a similar law. Yeah, yeah. My understanding is UAE is, is also considering similar language. Japan is considering similar language. Yeah. So this is just a natural progression. This is the next step for the United States to say, look, we've been to the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. We hear you talking about the Moon Agreement. The, the COPOIS was canceled this year because of the coronavirus. And yeah. I think, I, I, I don't know, it's just my conjecture, is that it, this would have been a statement made at COPOIS to get us to move beyond this discussion. That this is not, this is not going, this is not, no longer productive to talk about the Moon Agreement. Let's move on and, and talk yeah. about how we are going to harness these resources in a fair and equitable manner. The United States is not saying it's ours or, you know, we claim it. No, absolutely not. The United States is saying, the Outer Space Treaty says that sovereign states cannot claim territory by way of sovereignty or any other means. But yep. there is there is a huge gap. The 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 uh, space lawyer who started our program here at Mississippi, Stephen Garove, yeah. uh, wrote about it uh, quite a bit. There's a huge gap in that article because it says states. It doesn't say and and their non-governmental, you know, people or nationals or anything like that. So. Yeah. Okay, so uh, going back to the lunar landing sites, so how would, I guess, you sort of enforce it? Like, would you send, like, a spacecraft to enforce it or something? Like, how would, I mean, or is it just... Would, I, you, can, can I have that job, please? I would love to guard the blueprints, right? No. <laughs> so, you know, international, international law is a lot about principles and, yeah. and very hard to enforce. And so, you know, that, that's just a fact. And, and yeah. it's because diplomacy and so forth. What we can do is we have the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, um, the LRO, that is able to photograph the moon constantly. Yeah. And so if, if somebody were to run over them, the boot prints, or yeah. you know, uh, take something, we would actually be able to see it from yeah. the LRO, hopefully, or you know, we'd, we would be able to notice something was missing. We've talked a lot about different kinds of enforcement. You know, the most draconian would be to say, hey, if we catch you with an artifact, or if we see, if we suspect that you have uh, done something, then no nation is going to launch any more of your missions. Yeah, you know, so some sort of something like that. And I'll I'll be honest, you know, we have a hundred attorneys we're working on. We're working on things like how are we going to define heritage? How are we going to, you know, the biggest issue is how, if you if you can't claim any territory what are you doing if you're protecting heritage? And so yeah. we're working through these issues and enforcement is one of those kind of fun to think about, but we're not there yet. But I, I would definitely say, you know, we, we will have the eyes in the sky with LRO, with Gateway. So we'll be able to monitor the sites in any case. And then, and then I would argue for some very draconian measures like, yeah, okay, you can't, you can no longer, you will no longer be launched or, you know the the if it's a if it's a state actor then then you can have un resolutions and again it's it, it it's not that it's not that enforceable but it's it's so much better than if it's just a free for all right okay um so going uh, back to for mankind so i noticed that you're doing some legal research and i think you just mentioned that you the definition of 
heritage. So could you tell us a bit more about that, like the, the research you're doing? Yeah, so I have a fantastic team. My, I'm a space lawyer, and so we're working through the, the issues of property. We're looking at things like, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about space is that this concept of customary international law, um, which traditionally means over centuries and, you know, decades and centuries, this is how sovereign states have acted. Therefore, it's customary international law that they should continue to act that way. Yeah. In space, that customary international law is immediate in some cases. So the very first concept of space, the freedom of use and exploration, came about because nobody objected when Sputnik 1 overflew their, their sovereign states, right? So all of a sudden we knew that space was different from airspace. Right. And, and that was sort of an automatic customary international law there. Right. And so we're, we're looking at how, if we can harness that concept in some way to create protections. And I will also note we're working with environmental groups um, as well. And while right. our remit is not to protect the, the environment, and, and that's both sort of, I mean, think about conservation of, of certain sites that aren't historically important. Yeah. But it's all the same concept, you know, because we're fundamentally, by trying to protect something, we're making some sort of claim about that. And, and what should that claim be? And can we use customer international law? On the preservation side, Dr. Marlene Lozier is our leading our preservation team. And she's got a, a fantastic, I think, people looking into the concept of, so how are we going, what are we going to call heritage? And so the big, one of the big issues is, you know, every nation is going to want to say, hey, that was my first, uh, so that needs to be protected. Well, you know, if we go down that path, there's, there's two problems. One is that's 193 firsts to protect, and all of a sudden that's getting a little crowded. And the second thing is we really want to embrace this concept of human achievement, yeah. not national achievement. And so we'd like to move away from that concept of a national achievement. So, you know, you can... There are ways for nations to memorialize their achievements without needing this sort of international imprimatur. You know, for example, here in the United States, there are, there are counties, not even state level, but county level, that have declared, it's Kent County in Washington State, has declared the, the Lunar Rovers heritage artifacts right. in their county. Yeah. You know, because they just want to say, look, they were built here. They're important to us. And that, that's not making a claim of ownership or territory, just memorializing that. Mm-hmm. So, so they're looking in that. They're looking into this concept of intangible cultural heritage, which is just fascinating because and we're, we're hoping to speak to Nicole Stott, the shuttle astronaut, very soon. She's the um, astronaut artist. Yeah. And talk about intangible things, like what, what culture of humanity, what is... What, what changes when you're on ISS from what you do terrestrially? What, yeah. what, and, and that's really important. So both of these things, concepts are really important as we move forward into space because yeah. we really need to understand what we're doing, how we're evolving in order to make sure you know, we're, we're, we're doing something that's sustainable and that will be successful. And so, so I can't, <laughs> the preservation team, you know, they, they, there's a, a lot of terms of art, but they're looking into that. They're looking into the selection process and okay. talk about something being fraught, right? You know, how, how, who's going to nominate? That's the, the reason we can't use the World Heritage Convention right. is because 
the nomination process is that you nominate a site in your own territory. Yeah. And, and we know that no state can have territory in space. So there's no nomination process. Yeah. And so we're, we're looking at that as well. And, and I, 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 sorry, I, if I just want to, st- want to step back and say, we are by no means suggesting that we are the ones who are going to solve this problem. We understand that the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space is the place where you know, these kinds of legal issues should be uh, discussed and negotiated and debated. What we're doing is we're creating, uh, I, I like to call it sort of a, a handbook, and we're going, to, we're going to bring together every issue we can think of and bring together all the different solutions we can think of and prepare this whole thing. We're not gonna say this is, a, this is a convention, you guys ought to sign it. We're gonna say, look, we really need to manage our history and space. These are all the things we've thought about. And, and you know, here, please have it. And, and we would be delighted. We are permanent observers to the COPUIS. And so yeah. we, we, we do keep talking about it and, and slowly but surely we're, we're getting a lot of support. Yeah, uh, when it comes to deciding the framework for preservation and trying to decide that how, how obviously like nation states can't be involved in it because that would be against the outer space treaty. Could you use something like a common pool resource, a, a model where you, you know, like where everyone who participates in that ecosystem also is responsible for enforcing it? Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm just just throwing something out there. I guess. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's right. It's a it's a concept in political economy that was developed by Eleanor Osman. A common pool resources where something like forestries or fisheries, where everyone uh, you can't really claim ownership uh, without author- like an authoritarian uh, way of doing it. So the best alternative is a more democratic way, which is using using a sort of like a, a decisional governance framework where the people or people use or the entities using the resources are also responsible for governing the resources as well as sanctioning enforcing sanctions sanctions for participants in that ecosystem i mean i don't know if that's no and and i have to tell you i've been reading a lot of eleanor ostrom recently that I've not thought about it as, as a model for preservation. You know, I've been working with a lot of groups in terms of, of modeling how we want to manage use of resources on the moon. And certainly that would be ideal for that. The, 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 the tricky thing with heritage, and, and again, you know, I am I, not suggesting that this is the right way. And I've, you know, when, when we first, we've, we're only, or what, well, celebrate our third anniversary in July. Yeah. But when we first came out, we, you know, we said, oh, we're definitely, we're going to have a treaty done within two years. So I've walked that back a bit, yeah. but the, the, we'd really like it to be not just like we, we would like the ecosystem to include everybody on earth. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. when you talk about an ecosystem that's, that's on the moon and, and using it, that is exclusive. Um, and to, to me, it's really important to get the inspiration of those boot prints. Get yeah. a, you know, a child in Nigeria, a child in New Zealand, a child in the United States, all ought to feel that same, a, the same sense of pride. Yeah. We did that, you know. And so I would still like to see something more universal, although yeah. I, I do think, you know, you're absolutely right. The ecosystem that's going to be up there 
they have to embrace this as well because they're yeah. the ones who are going to be, you know, potentially protecting or um, monitoring or not protecting. Right. Okay. So what, I guess, uh, your challenges going forward? <laughs> when I talk a lot to, you know, different lawyers from around the world, and, yeah. and I have to say, there's not one person has ever said to, to me or to any of us, boy, that's a really bad idea, right? Everybody yeah. thinks it's a great idea, but everybody sort of shakes their head and says, yeah, this, but it's impossible. Right. And um, the general uh, counsel to ISA, he said to me, it would be easier to just have uh, 193, you know, just have 193 nations nominate it yeah. um, to the World Her you know, to UNESCO to become a World Heritage Convention. You know, right. you're going to get more, you're, you're, that's an easier path than getting a convention. You know, it's, it, the hardest thing is, you know, funding. The other really difficult thing is we're dealing with a lot of, pressing issues in space. You know, we're really, the COPUIS and, and national governments are really focused on debris mitigation, on, on, on planetary protection, on, you know, planetary protection meaning, you know, from protecting Earth from asteroid strikes, on space weather. These are all really important issues. And so there's a, there's a feeling that, oh, we don't have to worry about preservation. Nobody's going to do anything to the to Tranquility Base or to Luna 2, you know, who would yeah. do that? And and that works with the with the players that are going right now. Yeah. But you know, it's a it's a trickle now. It's mm -hmm. gonna be it, it's gonna become just a torrent really soon. And and we're not gonna be able to protect things. The the very first lunar bag, lunar sample bag yeah. that Neil Armstrong used to collect the very first lunar sample, NASA lost it. And okay. it became, it, it fell into the hands legally. It's a long sort of garbled legal path, but it legally ended up in the hands of a private individual who sold it at an auction for $2.8 million. Oh, okay. So think about that. This is at a time when it, we were not sending a lot of things or people to the moon. We yeah. couldn't keep track of the first bag carried by the first man with the first lunar sample. Imagine when we have you know, the Jeff Bezos vision of, you know, back and forth package deliveries and so forth. It's, it's, it's right around the corner and that's what we need to protect against. And, and so really one of our toughest issues is making people realize, no, we're not talking, you know, sci-fi fantasy. Mm -hmm. There are going to be people going back and those artifacts could fetch a lot of money on, on the market down here terrestrially and that could fund a lot of more space travel or whatever somebody wants to do. Again, I'm not, I would, I would say looking, talking, I've talked to a lot of commercial companies, um, not SpaceX or, or Blue Origin, I don't, but I don't think they would consider um, disrupting these sites, but you know, iSpace, PT Scientists, Space IL, everyone I've talked to has been absolutely, we wouldn't do anything to the sites, but you know, that's just a handful. And Pretty soon, we're not going. I'm not going to be able to talk to everybody. You know. Yeah, exactly. Is there a book you could probably recommend for listeners related to protecting? Uh, you know, that's that's interesting. No, there have been papers written, but there is there's nothing really on on the law of this of these protections. Of course, yeah. um, your neighbor Australia has Dr. Space Junk Alice Gorman, yeah. who has yeah. talked a lot about it as yeah. well. 
but her, she recently published a book, but it's more about, she talks more about orbital artifacts. Right. So we, we are working on a book and we'll keep posted. <laughs> okay. Yeah, cool. All right. So before we conclude, can, where can listeners reach out to you? So please visit our website at foralmoonkind.org. That's foralmoonkind.org. And again, remember it's moonkind, not mankind. We do have a lot of, of articles on our, on our website. If you go to our press page, you'll read a lot more about what we're doing. I've have, we have blogs. There's just a lot of information on our website. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And every Wednesday we're having a quiz. It's at noon Eastern time. I don't know if that's midnight in New Zealand, but it's an online quiz where everyone gets online together to try to finish the quiz first. And whoever finishes with the fastest with the most correct answers will win a copy of this phenomenal book called We Came in Peace for All Mankind. It was written by our board member, Tahir Rahman, and it talks about the messages of peace that were left on the moon, the messages from 74 nations, many of them hand handwritten and then put onto a disc about the size of a, a U.S. half dollar. And that was left on the moon, again, showing Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, they went to the moon for all humankind. And this book just is a beautiful, you can, you can see it on our, on, on our Twitter page as well. But please join us if you can, if it's not, you know, yeah. wait, too late in New Zealand. <laughs> All right. Well, that's us. So thank you, Michelle, for coming out to the show. It was lovely to talk to you and like ask you all these questions. Well, thank you. I, again, as I said, I love to talk about space. I love to talk about preservation. I'd be delighted to come back anytime. Cool. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. So folks, that was Michelle Howland, co-founder and president of For All Moonkind. If you'd like to learn more about For All Moonkind, I'll put up all the details on our blog for this episode. Until next time, be safe and thanks for your time. If you made it all the way to this part of the show, then a really big thank you. If you're interested in being a patron for the podcast, you can find us on Patreon under Claiming Space, all one word and on Anchor Podcasts, where you can contribute as little as a dollar. This would help us improve the show, as well as provide unique content, such as frontier industry analytics, special reports, and more to our patrons. We appreciate the time you've taken to listen to this episode. If you'd like to hear more, or suggest how we can improve, please leave us some feedback on our website, or get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. If you can, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, as this helps people find the show and grow the audience. Until next time, see you later.